It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's your host, Brian Preston. I and mean, it's kind of a crazy day today. It's um, Friday and we're going to be doing a show today talking about the importance of making sure that your IRAs have the right beneficiary designations, that you're thinking about the right things so that if something should ever happen to you, that the money ends up at the right place. We're also going to close out the show. You know, friend of the Money Guy podcast here, Aaron Peterson, who's our, our journalist that, that writes for Bankrate, savingforcollege.com. She's, she's been in all kinds of things. She also... Um, she asked us to participate. There was a, uh, they were asking financial experts their best, their worst goofs financially and how they learned from it. And she did this for Bankrate.com. It's actually out there. We'll give you a link to that, and I'm going to go over what that article says. But I have to share with you, it is never a dull moment here at Preston and Cleveland. Remember, my day job is not broadcasting. It is actually being a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. And um, Bo, who's my associate, a.k.a. engineer, producer, whatever you want to call him here for the show, he um, decides that right before we do the show, he's going to go get him a cup of coffee. But he leaves all the doors wide open. You have to understand, we're in a two-story professional building, and right next door to us is a like couples counselor. And you can see straight from the hallway into our office, and I have sit here, and I've got my headset on, We've got, we're doing our test takes to make sure all the balance levels are there. And then you see these couples walking past, and I could catch their eyes. I'm sitting here doing this test broadcast, and I think they think we're insane in here because we're just in a professional office building, and they see um, a, a guy who's supposedly a financial planner over here recording something. <laughs> Hopefully Bo will learn to keep the doors closed in the future. But um, let's get into what the topic is, what, how this came about. I always like to share with you guys. Um, how I come up with topics. And where this came from is I've been asked by the local hospital foundation to give a speech tomorrow talking about these type of, uh, of issues with your IRAs, estate planning, because it's going to be their support organization who are primarily retired individuals who do volunteer at the hospital. So I'm going to be t talking about that in the morning. And I felt like, well, hey, since I've got to do all this preparation, put together the, the PowerPoint presentations, I might as well go ahead and share it with my, my listeners as well. So that's where we're going over today. And then if you do want to go check out the show notes on and get some of the information on this, you can go check us out at money-guy.com. You can also go write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. So I titled this an airtight, an airtight IRA, you know, trying to sound a little witty, because let's face it, some of this stuff can be pretty boring to go through, but it is nonetheless life-changing and very important. I can give you some examples on why you have to pay attention to your IRA beneficiaries. The first thing that, that I, I put on here was talking about how you have to keep your intentions intact. And what I'm talking about with that is, is that most people don't realize they think, hey, I'll go get a will made with an attorney, and I'm set. Well, the problem is, you go get a will made, yes, that has your thoughts on where you want your assets to go and how you want it to be separated, who to take care of your children, and any trusts that are going to be set up. But the problem comes is that IRA beneficiaries, life insurance beneficiaries, 401k beneficiaries, trump whatever you put in your will because these type of products and savings vehicles work completely independently of whatever your will says. So just because you go get a will made 
doesn't mean that you're covered. And you've got to protect yourself with that process and make sure that your IRA beneficiary designations, life insurance, and 401k beneficiary designations are all working in conjunction with what you have in your will. So that's the first thing. A lot of people are shocked by that when they find out that their beneficiary designations really are not tied to their will unless they leave it, leave it blank or say, you know, I want to I want to leave my IRA to my estate. Well, then it falls back to the will. But if you actually put an individual's name there, that trumps whatever is put in your will. And that's why it's important to update your designation forms after major life events. And that incurs death. You know, anybody in your, your family that dies, it's listed as a beneficiary designation. Or, you know, births. Maybe you have some more grandkids or your own children are born and you need to update your beneficiary and contingent beneficiaries for that. And then what about divorces and marriages? Those things all come into this decision-making process on the front end. And, and I'm always surprised. It's not uncommon when you see people set up IRAs or retirement accounts. They will list their spouse as their primary beneficiary, but then they leave the contingent beneficiary blank. And, and just to back up and tell you, contingent beneficiaries, for those that aren't familiar, is obviously if you pass away, and say your primary beneficiary was your spouse, but they predeceased you, they passed away before you did, then, you know, if you put a contingent in, it goes then one step further and looks to see who that contingent is. If you leave that blank, they're going to go to, it's just going to go to your estate. And I'm going to tell you in a minute why that's a disaster from a tax planning standpoint if you're not making sure that you fill out the contingent beneficiaries. Also understand what persterpes means. Persterpes has to deal with if you have a child, say you have two children that you list 50-50 on, on your contingent beneficiaries and your spouse predeceases you and now you've got two children, well, unfortunately through a turn of events, something happens in, and you lose your son and all you're left with is your daughter. If you don't click, check that box that says persterpes, your daughter could inherit the portion of your sons and his children would get nothing. But if you check that box and actually elect the persterpes election, it you know your daughter will get the fifty percent that you put aside for her, and then your son's children will get their fifty percent, and it'll pass down to their lineage. That stuff is so important to make sure that you're you're thinking about these things. Because I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'm going to give you an example of something I have dealt with personally, on why it's important to update your beneficiary designations after major life events. There was an individual. I have to keep this very broad, but there was an individual who was married for many years, had several children, and then the wife passed away. Well, in the period after the wife passed away, the, the sister of the wife, you know, got cozy with the widow, the the man who was, um, I, I guess that's the male version of widow. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a male and female version of widow, but the man who his wife passed away started getting cozied up with the sister, and they ended up getting married. The beneficiary designations on his retirement accounts were never updated, and so they had the deceased first wife listed on all of his forms. Well, then the father passes away and there was no contingent beneficiary so now you have a situation where the mother passes away then the father remarries 
and then the father passes away. Who do you think that money went to from that retirement account? You might be shocked, and I know this depends upon which state that you live in when you pass away, but this was in the state of Florida. And the way the state of Florida works, it goes to your spouse. Well, he's been married to this person for, for a few years. So the children received nothing, not a thing. Everything went to this spouse of two to three years. And you can imagine that was one of these, you hear about death bringing upon family feuds and fights. Don't you know that that was intense? And that's why you have to be very careful whenever you have these life-changing events where somebody passes away or a marriage or a birth. You've got to think of these things. Otherwise, you could come back to bite you and, and you wouldn't have everything done the way you really wanted it to. And that, and that would be the biggest, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, you're looking down from above and you see all this fi- family fighting going on. And it's because you just didn't plan ahead and then you see your own children also getting damaged by the situation. That would, that would break my heart. It truly would. And I don't want you to have the exact same situation. Also, number two, when, I, when I'm going over this tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about decisions and their consequences. And the other, two, other item that I wanted to talk about was if you leave that, that, the form blank or you list your estate as your primary beneficiary. Remember how I hinted at that it would be a tax disaster? Well, they changed the rules a few years ago where, you know, now... If you pass away with an IRA, 401k, any type of retirement vehicle, your heirs, if you're not 70 and a half, your heirs can basically let that grow tax deferred, you know, until they need to start taking it out. That's incredible. Do you realize what that gives your family members an opportunity to do to save for, you know, save for their financial independence in retirement? If you've not reached 70 and a half and they can inherit your IRA and let it continue to grow without pulling money out and let it grow tax deferred, that's tremendous. But guess what happens if you don't list beneficiary designations and just let your estate do it? If you do that, your heirs must withdraw that money within five years after you die. Big difference. Think about it. You have kids that are 35, 40 years of age. They can you know, let that money grow for another 30, 40 years before they reach that 70 and a half period versus having to pull it out in five years and pay taxes immediately. That would, that's disgusting. You know, that's, that's paying taxes unnecessarily. And who likes to do that? Also think about, what if you are 70 and a half? If you are 70 and a half and you name either your estate as your beneficiary or leave the form completely blank, after you die, your heirs must take the payouts based upon your life expectancy versus if you had listed them as the beneficiaries, It'd be based upon their life expectancy. Big difference there, too. Because most of us, you know, most of us 25, 30 years old before we start having children. So your life expectancy is, you know, stretched out another 25 to 30 years on how long you can let that money grow tax deferred. That's powerful, powerful stuff. You've got to think about that. Third option on what you've got to be concerned about. What if you have beneficiaries that are many, their, their age separation is dramatic. Say you've put, you know, you you have two children and then you have a sister who needs some assistance. You have a sister who's approximately your age and then you have two children, you know, the sisters say 75 and then your two children, or let's say she's 80 and then your two children are 35, 40 years of age. 
Well, if you leave, you know, 33, 33, 33, if you broke it out, 33 and a third, to all three of the individuals, if, you, um, if you're not careful with the way you structure your IRA, it's going to be based upon how long you have to pull that out by the oldest child because there's such a broad range of age differences. So the planning opportunity when that situation comes about, if you know that your beneficiaries have a large age difference, you ought to set up separate IRAs for each one of your beneficiaries. That fixes the situation where it ensures that each one of your children gets to take their distributions based upon their life expectancy, not the older or oldest of the beneficiaries listed on there. Also consider if you're leaving a charity, if you're leaving some money from your IRA or your retirement account to a charity because you're very involved and want to leave some type of legacy behind, you can. Um, you need to make sure you, you probably want to consider splitting that out, doing some account splitting and setting up separate IRA accounts or retirement accounts for that charity that's separate from your beneficiaries because if you don't, your heirs must make sure that that charity receives its share by September 30th in the year after you die. Or otherwise, your beneficiaries must, must withdraw all that money within five years. So you could, if you make one administrative mix-up, you could really screw things up. And that would drive you crazy for years to come or drive your heirs crazy for years to come. Now, one thing that I'm not going to talk about tomorrow just because most of my audience is going to be a good bit older and already in their retirement age but I know you guys out there in my listening audience have a much, I have much more diversification in my age of listenership, is that a lot of you have minor children, children who are not of age. They're not 18. If that's the case, you know, I know the inclination is that you want to just list their names as your contingent beneficiaries. And I will tell you that that's not always the most favorable thing to do is because it, it, you get into what do you do if something does happen to you and you die and your children have not reached adulthood yet? You know, the, who's going to be in charge of administering that money? It, it, you get into all kind of issues. So the solution to this, and this is what I've done personally, is that I've established a testamentary will, uh, a testamentary trust in my will which basically creates a pass-through trust in the will. There's language in my will that creates this trust that gives out all the pertinent data that's going to make everybody's job a lot easier if something should happen to me and my wife. And what that includes is it says, hey, who's in charge? Who's going to be the trustee to determine whether my children should and what money they should receive out of this trust? That's an important decision. It also puts some goals in there, you know, college, you know, and other things to try to encourage some of that behavior. And then it, um, it also allows them just, you know, to have some type of structure on how that money's going to flow. And what you do is when you set that up, it's what you need to do when you go set that new will up with that testamentary trust built into the will, you need to go file a copy of that will with new beneficiary designation forms to your custodian. And it's very simple. You just, you re reference that trust and, and, you know, say reference the trust name created by will. It's not going to have a date of the trust yet because it's obviously going to be created upon the date of your death. And then you provide a copy of the language from your will. That, and, and I've never had a problem with a custodian accepting that type of data. It's important. You've got to do this stuff to protect your children as well as to make sure that your decisions, you know, follow you after you pass away. And I know this stuff is morbid. I hate talking about death and all these things, but these can be some of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Last thing, 
my older listeners who are over 70 and a half and you're already taking IRA distributions and you don't have to take those required minimum distributions in 2009 because of, you know, part of the stimulus and, you know, all this this legislation that was passed this year, one of the things they put in is, hey, you don't, because your account got beat up so bad with the bad performance we had in 2008, you're not required to take your minimum distribution in 2009. So for a lot of you guys, that's probably going to put you in a unique position where you have a planning opportunity. And I'd be wrong if I didn't give you this opportunity and let you know about it. There's a sweet spot because if you're 70 and a half or over 70 and a half, you're already getting Social Security. So you have to understand that below $32,000 of total income, your Social Security is completely tax-free. But once your income gets over $44,000, all of it's taxable at 85%. With that being the case, there's a gap between $44,000, which is you know that, ta- that 85% on Social Security, and then for married couples, $67,900 for the 15% tax bracket. Now, what's important about that? What I'm telling you is there's an opportunity, since your income is going to be substantially lower than normal because you don't have to take the minimum distribution, that you could actually roll over a portion of your retirement account, assuming your, you know, your AGI is less than $100,000, and it, you're going to meet these, these thresholds I'm about to tell you. You could roll over a portion of your retirement account to a Roth IRA, and it would be tax-free forever, as well as you would no longer have to take required minimum distributions on that portion that you roll over, and potentially your children could inherit it and have some tax-free growth opportunities for many years to come as well. So the way you would structure this, let me go over it one more time because I know this can get kind of confusing. You want to take 67900 for married couples filing jointly, that's where the 15% bracket caps out at for 2009. It's 67900 For single individuals, it's $33,950. Um, so you take that number, and I'm, but I'm going to focus on married filing jointly because that's most people that probably are going to fall into this situation. So you've got 67900 And then if you say your income is 55000 you know, if you add your pension, plus the Social Security, you come up with taxable income right at 55000 Well, if that's the case, then you've got room for right at $12,900 that you could roll into a Roth IRA, pay the 15% on that $12,000, $12,900, but then it would be tax-free forever, and you've maximized that low tax rate. Because let's face it, with Social Security Medicare running into some financial issues within the next decade, taxes are going to have to go up. So if you can get that money into a Roth and only pay 15% taxes federally, that's a deal. It's a steal. I think you got to consider using this as a planning opportunity. So I wanted to make sure I threw that out there. I know this stuff was draw, dry for those that you hung out there and listened to this. It's going to reward you because you're going to make good decisions. Plus, trying to be silly as well as slick with the title, you have an airtight IRA you know, set up with your beneficiary designation. So take advantage of that. Now let's talk to some talk about something a little more fun. As I told you, we have a friend with the show who's a journalist, Aaron Peterson, listens to a lot of the shows, thinks she's incredible on the way she writes. She's um very witty with the way she writes. And I couldn't believe when she asked me to be a part of this, I was like, sure, that's, that sounds cool. But then I saw who Aaron had actually interviewed in addition to to me, you know, because like I said, we, I just told you at the beginning of the show 
we're in an office park and I have a little quasi recording studio in a corner of Bo's office. And it, um, you know, there's a little embarrassing when the doctor brings her patients back and, you know, they catch me standing here like a boob with, um, my headphones on. We're not, I don't put us in the same level as Gene, or maybe, maybe we're being modest, but Gene Chatsky, you know, you see her on the Today Show all the time. She's that, you know, she's written that best-selling author of The Difference, How Anyone Can Prosper from the Toughest of Times. She's also on the NBC Today Show all the time. Um, we'll go into her topic in a minute. Also, she interviewed Dave Ramsey. We all know who Dave is. You know, we've talked about him on the show a good bit. She also interviewed one of my favorite, author, you know, journalists out there was Jonathan Clements. Jonathan, um, he used to... I, I, I thought I saw in here where it said he no longer wrote for the Wall Street Journal, but I wanted to make sure before I totally had written him out of that job. Yeah, it says, and former Wall Street Journal columnist. I used to love reading his columns. He's the one, I've talked about it quite frequently on the show, where he talked about how the 10% savings rate was pretty much dead because um, you've got to be saving 15 to 20% because of some of the government obligations uh, great pieces. I mean, I've always enjoyed reading Jonathan's stuff. So to be listed in the same article, that it just was a huge compliment, and I appreciate Aaron even including us on it. But uh, the the article was titled Six Financial Experts and Their Worst Goofs. And I just want to quickly go through a few of these people, the ones that I just named, and let you know what, they, what their biggest goof was. And then I'm going to tell you what I obviously screwed up on, too, in the past, was um, Jean, you know, the Today Show, she comes on and talks to the Today Show about, you know, money-saving tactics and so forth. She said her biggest mistake was years ago, she racked up $6,000 in credit card charges at a brutal 18% APR. At the same time, the sum represented about six months' salary, she says. Despite the debt, she was diligently stashing money into her savings account, which earned a paltry 3% rate. Even though she had more than enough in her savings account to cover the full amount of the debt, there was a psychological component to her poor financial decision. I felt safer with the money in the bank, she says. So how did she change? How did she learn from the situation? Um, Jean went on to say she finally did the math and paid off the debt with the savings. I basically wiped out the emergency cushion to pay off the credit card debt, but I knew if I had an emergency and needed to buy a plane ticket for a flight home to see my parents, for example, that I'd still be able to put it on my credit card. And then she goes on, lesson learned, don't let savings goals interfere with paying off credit card debt. With credit card companies slashing credit lines, she says she might be a bit more conservative today than she was back then, perhaps leaving enough in savings to cover a month's rent. But the general advice still holds. It really doesn't make sense to keep money in savings while you're paying money on a high-rate credit card debt. And we see that. I see that from time to time. We had a couple retire recently. They had um, a decent amount of, of credit card debt, but then it was kind of interesting to me is that we looked at their savings, and they had you know, plenty of savings to pay off the credit card debt. And it's one of those things you kind of scratch your head and go, wait a minute, you, know, you have plenty of money here. Why, why didn't you ever just pay this off? So you know, th I, th I think that's pretty good advice. We'll go on Dave Ramsey. We all know Dave. Dave, um, his financial claim to fame is the host of the Dave Ramsey Show and author of The Total Money Makeover. Um, Dave's biggest money mistake was Ramsey jokes that when it comes to his personal finances, he's done stupid with, stupid with zeros on the end. When he was in his 20s, he started buying and flipping real estate. I was making crazy money. By the time I was 26, I'd acquired more than a million dollars worth of property, he says. The problem is, was that was that most of it was in the form of a short-term note. 
one of the local banks that held one of my notes was bought out and decided to call my note, requiring full payment. Other banks started catching on, and over the course of a two-and-a-half-year period, my wife and I lost everything we had. We were sued, foreclosed upon, and ultimately went bankrupt. So how has he changed from this? Bankruptcy changed Ramsey's entire mindset. I swore off debt, he says. My wife and I don't buy anything unless we can pay for it. i got to flip the page here. He goes on to say, the lesson learned is, leave the real estate flipping for the pros or the wealthy and live within your means. Real estate is a great investment if you have the cash to buy, he says. I'm not against the mortgage for your primary residence, but if you plan to buy a second home or just a buy and flip properties, you need to use cash. I had to leverage too much of my portfolio and the house of cards I built came crashing down. Um, go on, of course, let's, let's do Jonathan, then I'll close it out with mine. Jonathan's big money mistake was, let's, um, I already told you his financial um, claim to fame. He's the author of the Little Book of Main Street Money and former Wall Street Journal columnist. But his big money mistake was years ago, Clements got an $8,000 windfall when his father liquidated a life insurance policy, and he decided to try his hand at stock picking. He chose four stocks. Two did well, one broke even, and one was nothing sort of, short of a disaster. It seemed like a clever investment, he says, of the last stock. The company was a cinema operator, and it also amassed a series of investments, many of them in Internet companies. A little math indicated that on a per-share basis, this investment portfolio is equal to the parent company's stock price, which meant you were effectively getting the cinema operations for free. His brilliant strategy proved to be less intelligent than he thought. The stock's value plunged by 90% when the tech bubble burst, and the cinema operation didn't fare much better. A year after I bought the share, I bit the bullet and took my tax loss, he says. How he changed and what he learned. Clements is done with cherry-picking stocks. I haven't bought an individual stock since then, he notes. Lesson learned, be leery of excessive self-confidence, he says. We all like to think that we're smarter and more knowledgeable than others, but it's awful tough to outsmart the market. And that's, that kind of, I'll tell you, that ties directly. That's probably a good lead-in to what I said my financial disaster was. What I went into was, um, my. I think it's funny to read my financial claim to fame because you know, different level than these others, is host of the Money Guy blog and podcast and a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and personal financial specialist at Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management in McDonough, Georgia. I put my big money mistake that Aaron reported on was Preston graduated from college in the mid-90s. When the internet was changing the world, he was convinced he could ride the boom and make some serious cash, so he took $2,000 and looked for some sure winners. I decided that it would be a great idea to invest in several internet mutual funds, he says. I doubled my money within six months and thought I was a financial genius. And it goes on to say I, I topped out at $6,000, which is very true. But then I slid back when the bubble burst. Um, and this is true, too. I'll close that. It says it, I didn't get out until my original investment had dwindled to a measly $400. And that is so true. That's why, you know, you hear me and I have so much passion in my voice when I talk about don't chase the hot dot. The hot dot is what's going to get you in trouble when you go out there and you're trying to, you know, pick a trend that everybody's thinking is the next great greatest thing. And then you find out that, hey, the party's probably over. I, sure, I got in there, put 2,000 in, turned it into six. But then, you know, I thought, hey, six is going to 12. It's that whole greed, greed thing. And then I ended up getting out. At right around $400. So how has he changed, meaning how have I changed? Preston returned to his personal finance fundamentals, a view he preaches on his twice-monthly podcast. 
a low-cost, broadly diversified portfolio. Let me, I don't know why my voice cracked, hit puberty there real quick. A low-cost, broadly diversified portfolio is much more consistent in performance and it allows you to sleep better at night, Preston says. Lesson learned, nobody can foretell the future and nobody's top stocks are often tomorrow's dustbin liner. Oh, and today's top stocks are often tomorrow's dustbin liner. I have learned that chasing sectors and the current hot investment trend is not a fruitful endeavor. I think that um, goes without saying. That's what you guys are listening to the show. You know this stuff already. You can't, I, I, I think you can, but it's, it's strictly no more than gambling. Find, you know, the next Google. I mean, that, that, that's hard. It's much easier to go buy a good diversified portfolio of mutual funds low-cost mutual funds, no-load low-cost mutual funds, and you can be successful. And I think that really is the secret. The biggest thing I can tell you when you're starting out is save, 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 because it, compounding interest doesn't really kick in until you build up and amass enough assets to where it can really change your life. And I say it all the time, you want to build up enough assets to where you're not working just with your back and your hands and your mind. You're letting your money work for you. It's like an army of dollar bills out there doing the work for you. That's when power and you can feel the, the enjoyment of true financial independence when that type of stuff happens. So I know it was a little dry today, but this stuff is important. You've got to talk about estate planning. You know, I try to goof off and give you guys some fun topics from here, here and there, but every now and then we have to get our hands dirty and get into the details of some of these estate planning and other things you can do to make sure you're making the right decisions, the hard decisions. If you want to go check out the show, you can go to money-guy.com and check out our website. You can also write the show, Brian, B-R-I-E-N, at money-guy.com. And just thanks for the positive comments y'all put out there on iTunes. It means a lot to us. We've also had some great feedback on the premium section. Because remember, you can register on the website to get blast out on the free side if you just want to look at our last five shows as well as get an email every time we get a new show published. But if you really like the Money Guy show and want to get really get your hands dirty, you can actually download our research, get into some private podcasts, get some questions and answers done for you, as well as look at some asset allocation models. Um, go sign up as a premium member at money-guy.com. Until next week, I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Yeah.